Uh, as we started to explore last week, St. Augustine challenges and encourages us saying, he or she who sings prays twice. So we decided during this Advent season, which we're already singing, and in my house we have to like put the kibosh on Advent and Christmas singing until at least December, at least after Thanksgiving. Um, since we're already doing all that singing, let, let's at least recognize some of the things that, that singing does to us, or some things that singing can do to us. I think it's an invitation to consider. It's an invitation to reconsider the songs that we sing at this time of year, to treat them as prayers, prayers during the season of longing, prayers that long for God to break into our world again and again, as prayers of hope in the midst of darkness and violence, as prayers of repentance, prayers of renewal, understanding that we're as likely to be caught off guard by God fulfilling his promises as anyone, that we need our imaginations constantly transformed, renewed, in order to make room in our hearts, to make room in our lives, for God to be with us. That these songs can be prayers of joy, <laughs> prayers of, that are proclamations of the good news, that God not only wants something to do with us, but in sending his son Jesus, he gets intimately, personally, riskily involved with us. So take up these songs and sing. Sing them in your cars and around the table. Let them be on your lips. And I'm talking like the upper shelf songs here. Like I'm not talking like, I don't know, Christmas shoes or <laughs> tender Tennessee Christmas is, is really Santa baby. Yeah. Let these songs, these hymns and songs and spiritual songs, let them permeate your lives. Hear the gospel in them. Sing the gospel. Live out that gospel. Pray twice during this season is what we're asking you to do. So in the second week of Advent, we consider love. Each of these candles kind of represents a theme for us. Last week, hope, that longing. This week, love. Next week is that pink candle for joy. And finally, peace. I want to I consider love through the lens of the scripture that Eva read so well uh, from Luke's gospel in the song that we just sang together, Go Tell It on the Mountain. I think Go Tell It on the Mountain is one of those sneaky, great songs, right? It's like good pop music. It's far more substantial than you even know. It's easy to sing. It's fun to sing with others. There's not a lot of vocab needed. And on the hundred and first time that you sing it, you realize the power of something you've been singing all along. You realize the story that's being told. You realize that encased in all these simple lyrics of a folk song is a revolution, a holy light, an angel interrupting these poor shepherds on a hillside. Blue collar, I imagine them outdoorsy types on the fringes of town. They probably don't even smell that good, to be honest with you. It's not quite the same thing, but I've, I've known plenty of healthcare workers. Maybe you guys have too. And the ones that work the night shift, 
they've very purposely worked the night shift. That's how I imagine these shepherds are. Like, <laughs> they're a little isolated on the fringes on purpose. They work in peace and quiet. And then in the margins, in the mundane, down in a lowly manger, love comes to them, to them. The Christmas story reminds me something about God's love that I so often forget. That love interrupts. Love interrupts. The first word of the song that we sang, wow, while shepherds did their kept their watch now. That word wow, it reminds us that while we go about our business as usual, God is poised to show up. This is good news. While kept, shepherds kept their watch over silent flocks at night, God was moving. God was acting. His love was invading the earth in the form of a baby born into poverty, that we might become rich, we might become heirs, we might become sons and daughters of God. So love interrupts the wow of our lives, the wow of our sin, the wow of our hurting, the wow of our loneliness, the wow of our despair, the wow of our numbness. Paul's letter to the Romans reminds us of this, that God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God interrupts with his love. The incarnation of Jesus is an interruption. It's a new thing, but it's not an altogether out-of-character thing for God to do. You see, the very act of creation completely out of his grace and love, getting involved and entering in. That was, in some sense, an interruption, an interruption of chaos, filling and forming. Then God interrupts Abraham and Sarah, then Abram and Sarai. He blesses them that through their holy family they might be a blessing to the world. He interrupts Moses, and we sang a few weeks ago, in a bush ablaze to his wandering gaze, God makes his glory known. An interruption. God interrupts David through the prophet Nathan, catching him in the trap of his own sin. God interrupts Isaiah by transporting him into a throne room, undoing him, and renewing his prophetic imagination for Swords being hammered into plowshares and trees clapping hands. God interrupts Mary and Joseph. Mary receives this interruption with a yes. I don't know if you heard it. it <laughs> I heard from yesterday, this is a side note, I heard from yesterday's rehearsal that all the boys were vehemently opposed to being Joseph. Uh, and I think this is kind of an accurate theological conclusion, right? Like... <laughs> It would be hard to be interrupted the way that Joseph was interrupted by God. God interrupts Peter. He interrupts his denial. <clears throat> and instead says, if you love me, feed my sheep. He turns him from the quicksand of denial into the rock upon which the church would be built. 
God interrupts Paul by knocking him off his horse, knocking him out of his terroristic zeal and making him a pastor, making him a missionary, making him a sent one to the Gentiles. And God interrupts John in prison with a vision of a garden city coming down, of heaven reacquainting itself with earth, of every tear being wiped away, of leaves on the tree being the healing of the nations, of a slain lamb who triumphs with blood and the word of his people's testimony, instead of all that, those usual ways that kingdoms come, God interrupts, and so on, and so on. This means for us that God can and will break into our lives. And every single time that happens, when that happens on a Tuesday, <laughs> when that happens tomorrow, when that happens next week, it'll be fresh and unexpected. And then we'll look back and we'll realize that's what we needed, when we needed it. What we were expecting, what we were hoping for, and the way he was working all along. This means that when you receive an interruption, even in its minor forms, that it, it, it is a gift. It's an opportunity. It's a place to meet God and to know him. It's a place to experience God's love and his care for us in ways that we wouldn't have thought of by ourselves. And I know we're talking in cosmic terms here. God doing the interrupting. But most recently, I experienced this sort of love interruption over the last several months as Rach was sick, and she's better now. <clears throat> but we were repeatedly interrupted in our home by friends and family, by some of y'all. A friend came to our home, <clears throat> a friend we don't even know very well, and like knocked on the door and waited for it to open a crack and then just kind of busted in and started doing our dishes for us. We were interrupted. Others interrupted us with their casseroles and watching our kids. Their love met us in really daily mundane ways, filled needs that we like to be kind of independent people, didn't know we needed. Medicine, our suffering, medicine, our stress. They interrupted us in the while of this difficult episode of our lives. That kind of love changes you, it heals you, it lifts you. So if love interrupts, if that's the what, I think another thing about love and something we learn about the song, from the song is that the how, and that's love interrupts, but love moves. Love is sent, it goes. God's love shown to us in Christ is, is and, and it's a theological word here, is, is missional, it's sent, it goes. Our song, Go Tell It on the Mountain, shows us this movement. Go. Songs like this are, are more found and recovered than written. <laughs> when I was trying to find uh, a, who wrote this song, mostly I just found who found it and who put, bound it into a book. And there was a guy named John Wesley Work 
Jr. in the early uh, 1900s. He gets credit for putting this together with a bunch of other African-American spirituals into a form that churches could use. He compiled these, um, and, and he had a post at Fisk University. Maybe you've heard of the Fisk Jubilee Singers, if you haven't, YouTube, after this. But I noticed when I, when I was looking at some of these songs that, that they were singing and, and, and some, of the, um, some of the common themes, that there's this great sense of movement in a lot of these African-American spirituals, uh, especially the Christmas ones. Uh, Children, go where I send thee. Rise up, shepherd, and follow. Even Mary had a baby has a line, people keep a coming and the train done gone. It's, it's all about movement. These songs know that there's a movement and that God is eternally moving towards us. The Father sending the Son. The Son pouring out His Spirit on us. And us going, us being sent as agents of reconciliation into the world, as agents of reconciliation in our neighborhood and at work and at school, in our normal lives. God first loving us so that then we can love. God always taking (coughs) the first initiative so that we can respond, so that we can grow into what he's made us. So we can be renewed into what he's remade us. Go Tell on the Mountain is one of those folk songs that's morphed over the years. I don't think it's insignificant what it's morphed into. You see, when I think of music these days, I think of a fixed recording. Like no one, like legally you cannot take that Adele song on the radio and make it that different. Like you can do that like on YouTube and then they'll give you a cease and desist is what they'll do. But you see, that's not how these old folk songs were. That's not how they came about. Um, they, they changed. They, they borrowed. They sampled. Hymns and songs like Go Tell on the Mountain, Live and Breathe. Uh, as I was looking at, at versions of this song, I, I, after 1963, this song changed drastically because it got included on this album by Peter, Paul, and Mary of all these folk songs, a bunch of covers, Dylan's songs like Don't Think Twice, It's All Right, and Blown in the Wind. Even there's a woman um, from Carbo, if you go by the Southern Rail, there's a sign for Libba Cotton, and she wrote a song called Freight Train, and that's on their record. And so Peter, Paul, and Mary turned this John Wesley work tune um, into an anthem of liberation, of resistance during their civil rights era in America. Go tell on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell on the mountain, let my people go, is what they started to sing. Go tell so that they may be let go and presumably also tell. Like, I think that's a beautiful assumption to the song that Jesus' birth might mean liberation. Because the story of scripture, the story that comes to a head in Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection is of the love of God that interrupts, that goes, and that frees humankind to stop living under any other Lord than him. It's a love that 
turns us from slaves stuck in whatever mentality, whoever our Lord is. It, you know, in the Old Testament, it was Pharaoh. <laughs> in the Old Testament, it was Babylon. For us, it's something different every week <laughs> that turns us from that into, into brothers, brothers of Jesus, sons and daughters, heirs. We live as friends, as family. So that's the good news of Christmas. That God so loved the world that he interrupted the world with the gift of his only son. That everyone who would trust him enough to receive that gift wouldn't perish but will have eternal life. God didn't send. Notice this sending language, this movement into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. May we live like these shepherds, well, some of the shepherds that were up here. <laughs> I don't mean anything by that, Adam and Christine. <laughs> it was really awesome and <laughs> dramatic. I loved it. I'm going to start using a cane to preach. <laughs> May we live like these shepherds, though, ready to respond to God's love breaking in upon us upon us. And then maybe we respond like they did, running. <laughs> the, the scripture says running to tell everyone who will listen about what God's done, about what God's doing, about how God's entering into everyday lives in order to save us, to reclaim his creation to renew us and to rebuild. Maybe we be like those shepherds. Amen. If you all pray with me. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your love that surprises us. We thank you for your love that was embodied in Jesus. If we want to know what love looks like, we look at Jesus. We look at how he lived. We look at how he died. We're empowered by how he still lives. Father, give us courage uh, to love with that kind of intensity, to love with that kind of sacrifice. Give us eyes and ears to to understand how you're moving and to join with you in your renewal of all things. Lord, we thank you for, for these kids that, that make us laugh, that, that show us something about your heart that we, that we forget. We get too serious. We take ourselves too seriously. Sometimes we, dare I say, we take you too seriously, Lord, and, and we thank you for for ruining that for us um, so that we have freedom, so that we can be your kids. We pray all this in the name of one who is coming, Jesus. Amen.